read God's word this evening in Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, we'll begin reading at verse 36 and read to the end of the chapter. And that section will also be the text for this evening. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Do you love Jesus? In Romans 10, verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of the danger of having a a zeal, a religious passion for God, but not according to a right knowledge of God. For I bear them record, the Apostle says there, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. That's a serious problem, and a problem that many passages Of scripture address. But the opposite problem is a serious problem as well. A right knowledge of Jehovah God with little to no love for him. For that problem, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, this text is one of the antidotes. Do you love Jesus? Do I? Can you see anything of yourself in the woman of this text? She loved him. Jesus says about this woman in verse 47, that very thing, that she loved him. She loved him much. 
He says that about her, even though she doesn't speak one word through this whole scene. Did you notice that? She never says one word. And yet, it is obvious to the Lord and to anyone who is watching that she loves him and loves him much. If ever actions spoke louder than words, it's here. By contrast, Simon, the Pharisee, who invites Jesus to this meal, has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And both the love of this woman and the lack of love in Simon are shown in their actions. The woman loves the Lord and it shows in what she does. And Simon does not love the Lord and it shows in what he does. And the point of this passage of scripture is to contrast these two figures before us and to face us with the question, with whom spiritually do you have more in common? Simon the Pharisee or this woman? We're going to make that contrast tonight in all three points of the sermon. First, with regard to the love itself that is expressed in the actions. Simon's lack of love expressed in his actions and her love expressed in the actions. That's first. Second, in the explanation for the actions of both. What's the explanation? Why the woman loves him so much that she shows it this way? And what's the explanation for why Simon does not love him and shows it in his actions? And then finally, the contrast in the assurance that God gives to this woman of the forgiveness of her sins and that he does not give to Simon that by implication his sins are held to his charge. Let's take that up under the theme, she loved much. Let's notice first the love, the explanation, and the assurance. Love is a committed bond of affection that seeks communion and fellowship with the object of love. And with regard to love for the Lord Jesus Christ, that is expressed in humble, reverent, courageous devotion, motivated by gratitude for him for what he's done for loving us first. Simon, the Pharisee, has not one ounce of this for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true, though he had invited Jesus to his house for a meal. Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus, and in verse 36, we find out that Jesus agreed to attend. Simon is a prominent Pharisee. He's a wealthy man. He has a position of importance in the community, and he gives a very wealthy and formal banquet here in the text. If there was fine china in these days, it would come out for this meal. Jesus was not the only guest at this meal, verse 49 reveals to us. There were others, prominent people of the community, other wealthy individuals, important influential individuals, probably other prominent Pharisees too who attended. We know that it was this kind of formal wealthy banquet that Simon was throwing, not only because of the others who are invited to sit down at the meal, but also because of the fact that other people of the community had access to the house where this meal was being put on. At these kind of banquets, the doors to the house were to be left open. And the lower common folk of the community were allowed to come and go as they pleased, but to come in and line the wall if they wanted to and watch the meal take place. It was a kind of show for them to be able to see the important people all there sitting down at meal and to listen to them talk. And of course, it was a way for the important people to show off. To show before the the commoners their wealth and their status to reveal to them all the important things that they had to discuss. The Lord Jesus being someone 
who is being talked about now in the community, he's coming to some prominence, it seems, gets an invite to sit at meat at this table. And this woman, who is part of the lower class and common folk, is one of those who may come and go as she pleases and line the wall and watch everything take place. However appropriate it was for the Pharisee to invite Jesus to the meal since he had become someone that people were talking about, had some prominence as a teacher. It's apparent from what Simon does with him that Simon has no love for the Lord Jesus. He's not inviting him because he loves him. His only interest is to expose him as the Pharisees were always trying to do. Let's see how this Jesus holds up under some real intellectual discussion. Sir, sure, he can get the common people riled up and they all think that he's something, but let's bring him in here with me and other fellow Pharisees and let's see how he can handle himself. Simon looks at himself as above the Lord Jesus. And this man is some kind of upstart. He is himself of the, of the lower classes, you know. And let's bring him in here and let's have him face some real intellectuals and we'll expose him for the fraud that he is. That attitude of pride towards the Lord, the lack of love towards the Lord, is seen in Simon's actions towards the Lord. He slights the Lord here, though he had invited him as a guest to his home. As you know, it was customary in these days to have a basin with water for people to wash their feet in when they came in off of the dusty roads. But Simon doesn't have any water for the Lord. Simon was a wealthy man. He would have also had a servant whose job it was to wash the people's feet as they came in. But there's no servant provided for the Lord. It's likely that this was provided for the other guests. But Jesus' point is, you haven't provided it for me. He snubbed the Lord. In addition, he had not given any olive oil to the Lord. It was often the case that After washing the feet, there would be some olive oil that you could put on your feet and on your hands and on your face to freshen up before you sat down to the meal. You walked on these dusty roads the whole way to get there. Simon likely had provided that for the other guests, but not for the Lord Jesus Christ when he came in. And he didn't even greet the Lord as was customary. Surely he would have greeted every guest at his table the way that was customary. Kissing on both sides of the cheek. Which is still done in some cultures today. I just got back from Mexico where they do that. It's a little bit odd to someone like me. But in that culture and in the culture of Jesus' day, that was normal. That's the way they greeted guests who came into their home. And apparently Simon had done this for every guest that came into his home, but not for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no love for the Lord and he snubbed the Lord. This was a way to say to the Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you to this meal because you're the talk of the town right now, but don't get any thoughts that you're really one of us, that you really deserve to be here and I'm going to show you at this meal that you don't. That became clear. No love for Christ in his actions. Almost immediately, after Simon snubbed the Lord like this, a woman comes in, breaks off the wall where all the other commoners were lined up, and stands behind Jesus at his feet. Verse 45. And this is not just any woman. The text describes her, verse 37, as a woman in the city or a woman of the city and a sinner. A woman of the city is a code word for a prostitute, like we would say a woman of the streets. And a sinner is indicating 
the same thing to us. But this woman, seeing that the Lord had been slighted by this Simon the Pharisee, could not bear the fact that he had been so dishonored. And she steps forward to everyone's shock because the onlookers are supposed to stay along the wall on the outside and not interrupt the meal at all. But she breaks off the wall and comes to him and stands behind his feet. In the Bible times, at more informal meals, they'd sit on the floor upright. But at more formal meals, they would recline. Their left hand would be under their head, and with their right hand, they would eat, and their body and legs would be angled out from the center where all of the food was. They'd have some kind of a mat or a thin couch that they would lay upon, so that if you looked upon the whole scene from above, it would look like a giant centipede with all the people, the legs of the centipede out from the body in the middle. And that's how she could come off the wall and stand at his feet. And what was she doing? In front of all of the people who were gathered there, she was going to do what Simon had not done and should have done. And it burned within her. How could he be dishonored like this? And though she didn't have any water, she did carry a little alabaster box around her neck like most women did at this time. And it had perfume in it. And her plan was to come forward and to open it and to pour it on Jesus' feet. And she comes crying, crying, undoubtedly, in part because of all the people who are watching and at this point whispering about her because she's broken off the wall, but also because she's overwhelmed with love for the Lord and burdened by what has been done to him. And how could this happen? How could they treat him like this? Don't they know who he is? And she starts sobbing at his feet and she lets her hair down, which is also against custom. And she carries on with it and with her hair, she wipes the dust off of his feet. And through the tears, the Greek word indicates that she's sobbing, not just a few tears, but she's sobbing. She struggles to get her little box open. And can't you just picture this, beloved? All of the people, all of the guests in the middle there and how they're, what you, and how these people along the wall are whispering and what is she doing? And she carries on with it and she gets it open and she pours it. And in between every little act, she's kissing his feet and keeps on kissing his feet. Don't they know how precious he is? So, did she love him? As Simon's lack of love for the Lord was seen in his actions, her love for the Lord is seen in her actions. Her actions are the result of the overflow of love for him, filling and pouring out of her soul. Actions of humble devotion. She will play the part of the servant to him. It doesn't matter to her. It's an honor to her to serve him willingly, not forced, Never minding that everyone is talking about her, she will serve him, for she knows him worthy of her humble devotion. She loves him. Actions of reverent devotion, the kissing of the feet, is the acknowledgement that this person is high and holy and worthy. And though everyone else around that table thought he was nothing, that he was lowly, that he deserved to be more along the sides of the wall with the others, she knew that he was worthy With humble, reverent devotion, she acts. In actions of courageous devotion, she's not bound by the fear of men. She will show everyone that she loves him. And he's worthy of honor and respect. 
no matter what they say about her, no matter their whisperings and snickerings, slightings. And you and me, do you love him? Does your love overflow in actions of humble, reverent, and courageous devotion to Him? Humble devotion that will play the part of the servant to Him. It doesn't matter to me how I'm viewed in the eyes of men. I will take up the place of a servant of this one, for he is worthy. I know that he's worthy. And it doesn't matter what he assigns me to do or what opportunities I have to do, be they ever so small, be they even washing merely his feet. I will do them out of love for him. No task is too small if it's for this Jesus. Change the diapers for him. If only to him, it would be like the washing of his feet. That's why you do it, isn't it, Mom? When you could have used that degree, it's for him. He's called me to this. And I'll serve him by serving this little one. Going to the job that he has given, man or woman, maybe you don't like it so much. Maybe you thought you were going to be here by now, but you're about here. But I go every day and I work hard. May it be to him, as the washing of his feet will be faithful and will serve for him. The giving of your might into the collection plate. And I'll keep giving because it's for him, it's for the Lord Jesus, and may it be to him as the washing of his feet. I love him, and I'm happy to give this to him. Will you help that person again? And again, that person that needs help again and again. And sometimes it gets a little bit annoying, but they need your help. And maybe you need a break sometimes to be sure, but you keep giving and you keep serving and you keep helping. And may it be to him as the washing of his feet. Because I love him. And my spouse, my spouse, I do these annoying things and I've been talking to him or her about it for for 10 years, 15, 25 years, and yet it still keeps co- But I love him. I love her. And I'll serve him. Serve her. May it be to him as the washing of his feet. Acts of reverent Devotion. Is that why you're here tonight? Because you love him? And may my songs, Lord Jesus, may my prayers be to thee as the kissing of your feet. Love thee. And acts of courageous. Devotion. Are you willing to break off the wall for the sake of the Lord Jesus? When everybody's looking, it doesn't matter what they say, how they snicker. I love him. Sometimes I wonder, this is no slight 
on your singing. You sing wonderfully in this congregation. But sometimes I wonder if we shut all the lights off and blacked out all the windows and nobody could see anybody else. How would we sing? And is the reason why we don't sing like that because we're afraid of men, we fear each other. What about you young people on Friday night? Acts of courageous devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to break off the wall where everybody else is and to say, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this because I love him and may it be to him as the kissing of his feet. And what about all of us? Do we have the courage to stand for the truths of his word out of love for him, honor for the king of kings, humble, reverent, courageous, devotion? The explanation for why this woman loves the Lord this way is given by the Lord himself in verse 47. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. The woman loves the Lord much because she has been forgiven much. That is, before she even comes to this meal, she has been forgiven much, and she knows She has been forgiven much. Her coming to this meal and doing what she does to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and her unwillingness to bear the dishonor that's been done to him is because she's already been forgiven much. It's vital for the understanding of this passage that we see that this woman has already had contact with the Lord Jesus before this night and has already known his forgiving grace for her sinful past. That's the only way that it's possible to make sense of the parable that Jesus tells in verses 41 and 42 to Simon. In verse 48, the Lord speaks to her and tells her, your sins are forgiven. And in verse 50, he says, go in peace. But long before that, in verses 41 and 42, he tells Simon, this parable, the parable of the two debtors. And in that parable, God is, of course, the creditor to whom the money is owed. And the one who owes 500 pence is this woman. And the one who owes 50 pence is Simon. And the question Jesus asks Simon is when these two, the 500 pence debtor and the 50 pence debtor, are forgiven, who will love the one who forgives them the most? And Simon answers correctly, the one who owed the greater debt. And then Jesus says, in explanation for why this woman has done what she's done. This woman loves much for her sins, which are many, are forgiven her. They're forgiven her before she ever came in there. They're forgiven her. Before verse 48, where he says to her, Thy sins are forgiven thee, and thy faith has saved thee, and go in peace. And when he says in verse 47, that her sins have been forgiven her, for because she loved much, he means the evidence that her sins are forgiven can be seen in that she loved much. If you say it's raining outside for because the driveway is wet, do you mean that the fact that the driveway is wet is the cause of the fact that it's raining or is the instrument by which the rain comes down? No, you mean by that, that the evidence of the fact that it's raining is the driveway is wet. And that's the way the Lord is using the phrase here. Her sins have been forgiven 
You know it, Simon. For because she loves so much. And again, all of this is before verse 48, where he tells her, your sins have been forgiven. Well, then why does Jesus say in verse 48, thy sins are forgiven? If they've already been forgiven before that, we'll get to that in the third point. But for now, the reality is that somewhere, somehow, before this evening, she had heard the Lord preach and speak the gospel of peace to her soul, perhaps even more than once. Possibly it was in a public sermon. Perhaps it was in a more personal instruction that's not recorded. But whatever it was, she heard the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ that declared the truths of God's word. And she heard the message in so many words, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And because God had regenerated her, putting the seed of new life in her heart, her heart was heavy laden with the guilt of her sin. And at the preaching of the Lord, she understood that this man was the only way to forgiveness before God for what she had done. This man was the only one who could take the burden of her guilt. She had heard declaration of forgiveness from him. You're forgiven. Of all of your sinful past. The question that the people who sat down at the table asked in their minds in verse 49 is a question to which she knew the answer. Who is this that forgiveth sins? He's God in human flesh. She knew this from the preaching of the Lord. She knew this from the fact that her sins had been forgiven. Her, only God can forgive sins. And this was God come down in the flesh before her. This is why. She could not bear the fact that God in the flesh was being so snubbed by Simon, so dishonored, because she had been forgiven of all of her sins. By God come down in the flesh. She's overwhelmed. The tears flow. She loves him. She honors him. Yes, he first loved her. She loves the one who first loved her. And in love, she has to go forward. Honor him. This woman had known the law Growing up in Israel, she knew the law of God as the word of God for the conduct of his people. She knew that what she had been doing in her life was not only socially unacceptable, but was an offense against God himself, the God who put her upon this earth. And though God did not work new life in her heart until later in her life. When he did work in her heart, she knew her sin was rebellion against this high and holy God. And she knew that that law condemned her and that she owed a great debt to Jehovah God, a debt that she could not pay. But you understand, beloved, that she had been taught by the Pharisees. And therefore she had been taught that she was beyond all hope of forgiveness, sinner that she was. The Pharisees taught the people, of course, that the only ones who could be acceptable to God were the ones who made up for their sins by their good works in their life. But the Pharisees also taught that people like her were beyond that possibility. They were sinners. That's why that word is used here. She was a sinner. That's a specific category of persons who are beyond the pale who cannot possibly be forgiven. There can't be enough good works that she could do to make up for the life that she had lived. And so she would never hear from the Pharisees any message that there's any forgiveness from God, even if she came under conviction of sin and repentance and faith. Part of the reason why Simon the Pharisee was so disgusted with the Lord 
and said there's no way he could possibly be a prophet of God. It's because he allowed this woman to touch his feet. and He didn't pull his feet away when she touched him. If he was a prophet like he says he is, he'd be able to tell what the kind of woman this is, what category she is in. And he never let her touch him. There was a law that the Pharisees had. That anyone in this category, if they touched you or you touched them, you were unclean. There was no hope for her. And then she heard the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there was forgiveness to be found in him. And that in the way of repentance and faith, trusting in him, that forgiveness would be known, it would flow to her. She laid hold of him, cried out to him. She was free. And her love for him and the gospel overflows. All of this is important to see about this woman. Of course, beloved, for an understanding of the order of salvation. But it's important also because of the way that liberalism uses this passage takes a passage like this and reduces it to this, that Jesus was a man who accepted people in their sins with no care for them and no confrontation of them. Look, this woman was a prostitute. And he didn't care that she was a prostitute. He just accepted her prostitution. And therefore, this is what the church ought to do too. The church ought to simply accept any kind of person, no matter if they put their sins away or turn or convert, but accept into her membership practicing homosexuals or or practicing prostitutes in their prostitution, in their homosexuality. That's what Jesus was doing here. After all, that was not what Jesus was doing here at all. He didn't accept people in their sin. He saved them from their sin. He didn't care what they had done. Yes, if there was God-worked repentance and faith in them to trust in him and to come to him, he was friend of sinners who knew they were sinners by his grace and who knew that no forgiveness could be found in that pharisaical system, void as it was of the gospel, but forgiveness could be found only in him. Do you know how many prostitutes there were in Israel that Jesus did not commune with this way? This isn't the only prostitute in Israel. They mingled with every kind of person on the face of the earth to bring the gospel to them, to be sure. But this kind of communion and fellowship is the ones who responded to the word and humility and brokenness of heart, repentance and faith in him. For these, no matter who they were, what they had done, the Lord accepted them. Even this woman, who had been such a sinner, loved by him and forgiven by him, Simon doesn't understand the forgiving grace of God. Because Simon doesn't think he needs the forgiving grace of God. He wouldn't have said that he's sinless. The Pharisees didn't say they were sinless. But they said they weren't such bad sinners so that they couldn't make up for their sins by their righteous life. This is the way Simon thought. I am able 
to pay for my sins, to overcome my sins. By my obedience, not only to the laws of God, but to the rules that we Pharisees make that keep us from disobeying the laws of God. After the woman shows her love, and Simon in his own mind snickers at the Lord, he can't be a prophet if he lets this woman near him. The Lord shows Simon that he is indeed a prophet. He reads Simon's thoughts. And he confronts Simon's thoughts. Simon, I have something to say to you. There were two debtors. A 500 pence debtor and a 50 pence debtor. The 500 pence debtor is, of course, the great, great debtor. A pence is a day's wage. 500 Days wages, two years wages. That's a great debt to pay. But 50 pence is a pretty significant debt too. 50 days wages or two and a half months worth of work is a decent amount of money and a decent amount of debt. And the point of this parable to Simon is not only to explain to him why she loves him so much, but it's also to say to Simon, You're a debtor too. And it may be that she is a 500 pence debtor. We can all see that by the life that she has lived. And though Simon, of course, is a 500 pence debtor himself too, the Lord brings the word to Simon in a way that he can understand. Your life has been morally upright from an outward point of view, but you're a debtor too, Simon. You have sins. And here's the rub, verse 42. They both had nothing to pay. You too, Simon. You have nothing with which to pay for your debt. Your good works can't work it off. You think you are so different from this woman, but in the end, you are in the same situation as her. You're a sinner before a holy God, and you can't pay the debt either. God will not accept your good works as payment for your sins, however tiny you may think they are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So though Simon can answer the Lord's question. Simon committed to the pharisaical system as he is, can't apply the parable to himself. And he won't be humbled. And he won't love the Lord as a forgiven sinner. And he can't look at this woman and see the beauty of what she has done. But it's only disgusting and ridiculous to him. And you and me, who do you have more in common with spiritually? The upstanding, fine Simon, the Pharisee? Or the former prostitute? You may not have been a prostitute, God forbid it. You may, from an outward point of view, be a $50 sinner and not a $500 sinner. But do you know yourself as this woman knows herself and her sins? And do you know the Lord Jesus as this woman knows the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer from sins, when all else would be hopeless without him. Or like Simon, do you stand up over this scene with a kind of self-righteous dignity and say, maybe for other people, maybe there's certain kinds of people who love him like this, but not me. This is ridiculous. What is this woman doing? Wouldn't make a scene like that. Not dignified. What would you say? 
if a known prostitute from Holland, Michigan, started attending church here, came under the preaching of the gospel, and so under conviction in due time by the preaching of the word of God, that when that gospel is applied to her soul from this pulpit, she truly was repentant and truly knew forgiveness and sat next to you in the pew, would she still be a sinner? The woman of the city? Untouchable to you? Would self-righteousness blind you to the beauty of a sinner forgiven by grace? Or would there be a falling before the foot of the cross with her and a crying out with her, Oh, my Savior, I am such a sinner. Thou art such a Savior. Because truth be told, beloved, however polished we are, and may God work in you that you have a holy life before him, but however polished we are, we're all $500 sinners. And a thousand, and a million, and a trillion. Our debt is so great, and His forgiveness so rich, and full, and undeserved, and free. And if you don't see that about yourself, then spiritually, you will always have more in common with Simon than you will with this woman. Some commit more external sin in their life. And when they taste forgiveness, they love so much, think, of an Augustine, or even of a Huxima, if you know something about his life. But you don't have to commit great external sins to know your $500 debt. Oh Lord, the grace to see my own sin, and my own rebellions, and my own inability to make myself worthy, acceptable in thy sight. But for the grace to see, I am no different by nature than anyone else chief of sinners, and all too often with Simon-like pride in myself. And thou art the gracious Savior of sinners. After exposing Simon with the parable, Jesus speaks to the woman in verse 48, and he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. If the woman already knew forgiveness from the Lord Jesus, before she came into the room, and her coming into the room and doing what she does was an evidence that she had been forgiven and an expression of her love out of the forgiveness of her sins, why does Jesus turn to her now and say to her, thy sins be forgiven thee, and thy faith hath saved thee? Go in peace. Well, does the Lord ever tell you your sins are forgiven? After having told you once already? Does the Lord ever tell you to go in peace? After he's told you once already? Every time you come to him with that need in faith, he tells you. You're forgiven. Go in peace. Every time you need that assurance and you cry out to him, your faith has saved you. Go in peace again and again and again. And this woman needs this. You see his compassion upon this poor sinner. She's been forgiven by the God of the whole earth for her past, to be sure. But her past is still known to everybody. She's still the woman of the city. She's still the sinner, untouchable by Simon and the rest. She sees Simon's disgust with her. She hears the gasps and the mutters and the whisperings as she comes and washes Jesus' feet and kisses her feet. She heard the old brothers as she stands there sobbing uncontrollably. She needs to hear this again from the Lord. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Block all of this out. 
all the mockery and all the scorn, and go in peace, my daughter. Though she heard that declaration from the Lord, to her before it was private. And here the Lord Christ is willing to give her this declaration and assurance in public before all of these people who are mocking her. So that he's saying not only to her, but to these people around her, look, this is my child. I forgive her. No matter what all of you people think about her and say about her, I forgive her. And she may go in peace. She has faith. A gift from God himself. Actively expressed in trust in him. Evidenced in love for him. And that faith is the means by which she may hear from him. Again and again and again. You're forgiven. Go in peace. And you, and me, he says the same thing to you, child of God, tonight. Though he said it to you a hundred times or a thousand times. As you come to him with humble hearts and by faith, O God, I am the chief of sinners. Forgive you, my child. You're mine. Go in peace. One day, beloved, he's going to say it to you publicly. Not only privately to your conscience, and not only through the vocal cords of a minister proclaiming the word to you or the, or the word coming to you, in your own reading of it, but he himself with his own voice will declare before all the world that mocks and abuses his bride, this is my child. I've separated him, her, out in eternity unto myself. And I I went to the cross for this one. And I walked with this one in her life, in his life, is mine. They may go into my kingdom in peace for all eternity. Simon hears nothing of this. Knows nothing of this. And by implication, his sins are held to his charge. They are not forgiven. May you be spared such, beloved. By faith. Coming to the Lord Jesus again and again and again. May God spare you her sins too. She would say that. May God spare you my sins in my life. But may God show you your own. Knowing his forgiveness by faith. May you be like her. Love him much. Amen. Father, grant thy blessing upon the proclamation of thy word, that it might work forgiveness by grace and love for thee. In Jesus' name, amen.